in today's show. It's NBA draft discussion again today with Chip Jones from Thinking Basketball, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Locked On is partnering with Arcade1Up to give away three free NBA Jam Shack machines. Stay tuned for later in the show to learn how to enter. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We're free. And we're available on all platforms. We're talking NBA draft. We're going to be talking today again with Chip Jones from Thinking Basketball. We're going to be covering his thoughts on Jaden Hardy, Benedict Matherin. We're going to be talking the Williamses, Jalen Williams, Trevion Williams, Vince Williams as well. So, Warney. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's bring him in now. Chip Jones, welcome to the show for the first time. Hello, thanks for having me, Josh. I'm really excited to get to talk about some prospects. It's good to have you here, and it's good to talk NBA draft prospects. Been doing this for a few weeks now, covering off a bunch of guys. And some of these guys that we have been talking about, there are going to be some double-ups because people have some differing opinions on them. And one of those is the first guy we're going to talk about, and that is the player that you are a little bit higher on than consensus. Someone, I don't remember who it was, that we had on last week that had this guy as someone they were lower on than than the consensus, and that is Jaden Hardy. The 20-year-old, six-foot-four guard out of the G League Ignite, who came in as a very, very highly rated prospect, and has fallen a little bit since then. So, okay, give us your what's your sales pitch on Jaden Hardy then? So, I think my sales pitch on Jaden Hardy would be that like he really got kind of humbled early in the season because he started out pretty, pretty poorly, and I think the fact that that kind of happened is a positive for him in the way he projects in the NBA because I don't think he would he's not really a good enough passer to be a point guard he's more of a combo guard right and he started buying into more like you know playing a lot better like on ball defense and moving without the ball a lot better which I think in terms of looking at his NBA role is something that's going to be kind of asked to do and if he's going to succeed in the NBA he's going to have to be able to play off of someone else because he's not going to be the best guy on his team so I think having that kind of change in role has really helped him and how he projects in the NBA what do we make of the 27% three-point shooting? Yeah, so the in the final third of the season, he was at about 36%. So the big thing with Jaden Hardy is coming in, like they kind of used him as like a primary shot creator, like creating things off the dribble. And a lot of people say he has issues creating space, which isn't something I actually fully agree with. His issue is that in his shot, he dips really low. So he'll dip the ball all the way to his knees which is something that's going to need to be fixed and isn't like a super terribly hard fix. But the problem with that is when he's creating space on like a step back, his shot's taking longer to get off and he has a low release point. So he's getting contested pretty easily and getting blocked a bit. But when he was operating off ball, he was shooting around 40% on catch and shoots. And so, you know, if he can fix that dip over time, and even if he doesn't operating off the ball on the catch, he's a much better shooter. So I kind of think that's not as bad as it kind of seems, I guess. 
because there is a wild discrepancy between his free throw percentage, 88%, yeah. and that three-point percentage at 27%. So again, we always have that faith of guys coming in if they are good uh, free throw shooters that they can figure it out. He got to the line a decent amount, wasn't fantastic considering the amount of shots that he took, only an, a 17% attempt rate, but he took you know just a, an absolute ton of shots as well. Defensively, good steal rate, but is he a good defender? Is he a capable defender or is he just a terrible defender? So I would actually go, I would say capable. I think that he he started trying really hard. And I think the big thing for him is when it's his man, when it's his assignment, he takes like, I think he's kind of the type of guy that takes pride in that. And he, he'll really fight to try and get over screens and stick with it if it's his guy. However, when it's in help defense, that's where I think the the attention and kind of the, the understanding starts to wane a bit. But I think, you know, he can get to a point where he's providing a lot of offensive value and his defense isn't so bad that it's going to sink you per se. But it's definitely not something where it's going to be like a strength of his. So talk about you, know, you being higher on him than consensus. He was the number two prospect on ESPN coming out of high school. He's being mocked probably in the 20 to 30 range, sometimes in you know, 32, 33, sometimes out of that first round, but sometimes maybe marginally inside the, the top 20, although I haven't seen that all that often. Are you talking lottery for Jaden Hardy? Yeah, I, I think Jaden Hardy is probably in that like 10 to 14 range for me. It's somewhere I would be looking to take him. I think... So looking at like his ability as just a shot maker and an off ball mover, like he's really, really improved. And like he did not stop running on offense towards the end of the season. Like he would just fly off of screens. And if he couldn't get around a guy, he would give it back to his big and pivot the other way. And I think there's a lot of value in that and how much he can provide as a scorer and also as a passer. And long term, that combination of shot making and handling and kind of offensive creativity is still there. So I think there's a lot of upside for him to be a high-volume scorer moving forward. I heard this discussion on the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast yesterday or the day before, I don't remember, talking about if Jaden Hardy had have gone the Shaden Sharp route and just not mm-hmm. played at all this season, that would be talking about him as a top-five selection the way we are with Sharp. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I think there's merit to it. I definitely think it would be in the top-10 conversation. However, I think him playing has helped him a ton, so I feel a lot better about what he has done. How would you compare him to last season's um, G League Ignite high-volume shot-creating guard Jalen Green? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in general last year's draft is stronger and Jalen Green is just another tier of prospects, so I wouldn't be expecting anything near that. But I think when you look at, you know, a lot of times these guards tend to slip just because they're not necessarily, you know, that 3 and D archetype, and a lot of times they're not. But, you know, you look at guys who go in the 20s like Jordan Poole and, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. and Tyrese Maxey, And I think, you know, looking at his off-ball scoring and his handle and shot making, I think there's a lot of potential to kind of find one of those routes and be more of a steal for where he's going to end up getting drafted. He's going to be a really intriguing prospect. Of course, course we don't have a huge amount of data of these G League Ignite guys coming to the NBA and translations and all that sort of stuff, you know, really into the second year of that now. So seeing how that all translates across for Hardy is going to be interesting. And as we've seen on this podcast, the opinions of him vary pretty wildly as some of us are really down on him, some are really high on him. And we will find out in the next couple of years where that all ends up. But I've got to tell you where uh, your taste buds should end up. And that is smack bang in the middle of a built bar. New flavor. Another one. They're just cranking out the new flavors like there is no tomorrow. Mud pie is the new built bar flavor. Always bringing out the new stuff. You're not sure what mud pie tastes like? Well, if you're a chocolate fan, you better sit down. Hold on to everything you can because mud pie is just chocolate times a million, I guess. It's like rich whipped cream and chocolate mousse smothered in 100% real chocolate. And of course, it's topped with cookies and cream crumble. That sounds pretty bloody good, to be honest. And these things are low in calories. They're low in fat. They're low in sugar. But they are also high in protein. 150 calories only in this bar. 
comes in the bar and the puff formula as well. And the protein, collagen protein, is very easily absorbed by your body. So head across to built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. And guess what? You'll save 15% off your order. Built Bar is built different. Let's talk about a player chip that you are lower on than consensus. And that is Benedict Matherin. 20 years of age. Six foot six-ish, I guess, guard out of Arizona. Um, about to turn 20 in a couple of days' time. He averaged almost 18 points per game. Last season, shot 37% from three on a really large amount of threes. Almost 47% of his shots were from deep. His free throws were at 76% on a pretty good free throw attempt rate. He averaged almost six rebounds. He averaged a steal per game. There's a lot of things there that are enticing. We've seen workout videos of him. He's strong. He's got the, the size. Um, some might say he's got that dog in him, which of course means nothing. But why are you down on Benedict Matherin? Yeah, I mean, Matherin started trending up a bit recently. You know, I think he was kind of mm-hmm. towards that back half of the lotto, and now he's kind of creeping up to the point where some people have him even, you know, like top five, top six territory. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the thing for me with Matherin, like off the start, is coming into the season, he was listed at six foot seven. And I think a lot of people kind of projected that kind of wing forward stuff for him. And then coming into the combine, he measured six, four and a half without shoes. So I think he's definitely more in that like guard frame. And I think the big thing with Matherin is, like a lot of his shots are coming off the ball, like in terms of, you know, catch and shoots. And he doesn't really have the handle to create a ton for himself and create a ton for others. And I think when you look at that lack of a handle, it kind of limits the upside in terms of scoring and defensively and passing wise, he's not really phenomenal. So you're looking at a guy who scored a high volume in college, but his scoring path in the NBA, I think is going to be a bit more limited. Yeah. So he's, he really sort of pigeonholed into that one position really like just as a two, but two guard basically. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. It's it's going to be it is hard for those guys who are sort of those one position defenders or one position offensive players who don't have that size. Um, yeah, how how bad are we talking defensively here on a scale from you know, Trey Young to Marcus Smart? Where does he fit? I would probably put him pretty close to Jaden Hardy. I think okay. like he's probably going to be fine. He's not going to kill you, but like I think a lot of people project his length and athleticism to make him a plus defender. But my concern would be he's had that the whole time. And, you know, we've seen him two years at Arizona. We saw him at Team Canada with FIBA over the, at FIBA with Team Canada over the summer. And he's never really been a positive defender. He's just kind of fine. He doesn't really do a ton off ball. His steal and block rates aren't particularly great considering his length and athleticism. That's one of those descriptors or excuses, I guess, that gets thrown out for Zach Levine. It's like, okay, he, he's got the athleticism. He's got the size. He's got the wingspan. To be a good defender, he just needs to be coached or give the effort or blah, blah, blah. It's always been that excuse. Now, Levine, I guess, marginally improved this season as a defender, but that's what, seven years in, eight years into his career, he's always been a negative defender. Is there any comparison between the defensive efforts or the defensive uh, gets concentration that the Matherin shows in comparison to what Zach Levine's done in the NBA? No, yeah, I definitely think it's a fair comparison. I think it's pretty similar. I, I definitely think it's something to be concerned about, and I wouldn't really buy into the upside what do you make of the three-point uh, three shooting? Like 47% of his attempts were from three, which is a really, really good volume. Um, and he hit them at 37% on a on a situation where he was generating a, a ton of offense, 25% usage. He's not going to most likely be asked to carry a 25% usage early in his NBA career. So is there a potential for him to be a 40% guy who thrives in a catch-and-shoot type environment? 
Absolutely. And that's the reason that he's so intriguing as a prospect and what he draws a lot of his value from. I think the big thing even to keep in mind is it's not just, you know, PJ Tucker will catch in the corner and shoot. Matherin can come off of pin downs and screens and he can, you know, catch set and shoot off some movement. So I definitely think the shooting upside's there, but I think you're looking like offensively at someone like Contavious Caldwell Pope is someone I bring up a lot where I think offensively, the production wise, that's kind of what I would be looking at for Matherin. Yeah, so look, KCP's again not a high volume guy, but hits his threes at a high level. Obviously, works really hard defensively, which uh, Benedict is going to have to yeah. improve on. Um, rebound numbers are pretty strong for him in college as well. Is that a factor of the, the scheme in Arizona? Is that um, yeah his strength showing through? I mean, Matherin's like a phenomenal vertical athlete. He's just like super gifted in that term. So I would say it's probably related to him just being such a good vertical athlete. And Arizona, as a defense, forced a lot of stops. So there was a lot of opportunities. Let's compare him to, say, someone who played... I don't know if it's... Maybe you wouldn't compare these guys, but a scoring guard sort of a, a player who's got defensive limitations from last year's draft with James Booknight, someone who was in the draft process, similar to Mathurin now, um, you know, was getting talked up and pushed. Hey, top five, top six, this is where he's going to go. Ended up falling to 11 and 12 and then really did nothing as a rookie at all. Is that is that play style or player type, is that fair as a comparison? I would say that Mathurin's more reliant on like perimeter shots, whereas Book Knight's got more more of a ball handler, so he's more leaning in that athleticism and getting to the rim. You know, I think they're two shades of the same thing, but Mathurin's relying on like bigger offensive upside. Book Knight's going to be pressure in the rim. Mathurin's going to be taking pull ups. Okay, um, he's the thing that really intrigues me is, is the volume for him. And even in his last few games, you look at he had a thirteen of fifteen game from the line. He had a four of ten from three, a three of eleven from three, which also went eleven of thirteen from the line. Like that is just really, really big volume. And I'm just you know when you rely upon that level of volume in a college setting, and you're not profiling as the, the a number one in the NBA that. What else are you? My question is always, what else are you bringing? So, what else can he bring? Yeah, I mean, I think that would kind of be where my question would be as well. I think he is going to be a, a solid connective passer. I think towards the end of the season, Arizona's point guard got hurt, so Mathurin got more uh, pick and roll reps, and his passing, he started to show some really nice things. I think he's a bit limited as a passer because he's a bit smaller and he struggles to kind of create angles to pass with. But I think like connective, like keeping the ball moving around the perimeter, I think that's going to be a big thing for him. And then I think you know, eventually buying in defensively, especially maybe the effort ticks up with lower usage offensively. I'm going to tell you guys about Arcade 1-Up. Boom shakalaka, they say. Big news. NBA Jam is back. Arcade 1-Up is the leader in at-home retro arcade games. Not only bringing the best game ever back, but they made it bigger than ever with a wait for it, a Shaq edition machine. Wow. I remember NBA Jam playing it back early 90s. Had it on the old uh, Sega Mega Drive, which I believe you guys in the US called the Sega Genesis. I don't know why we had different names, but there we go. We did have different names. People are obsessed with NBA Jam, and I'm thrilled to tell our listeners that you can once again play it at home, NBA Legends, in this arcade classic. It's one of the first sports games to ever feature real and digitized NBA licensed teams. No fouls, no free throws, no quarters required. Compete with friends and family through all new Wi-Fi leaderboards, making you more connected than ever. And you can pre-order now from arcade1up.com. Arcade, the number one, up. .com for an estimated early September ship date. It is the place for fun. They've got other classics as well, like Mortal Kombat and many others, starting at just $399. And they're giving away an NBA Jam Shack edition to a locked-on listener. Enter for a chance to win a game console for your man cave at arcade1.com slash locked on. Arcade one, arcade, the number one, up.com slash locked on. You've got until July the 8th to enter to win an NBA Jam Shack edition console. Don't miss out. Enter today. 
Who are you going to play with? Let's go on to the next player here. And we're going to talk Kenny Lofton Jr., a 20-year-old, seven forward-ish guy from Louisiana Tech, who is, I don't know how to best describe it, in- interesting, would have maybe like a, a cult NBA following if he was making it onto a team. He averaged, what, 16.5 points. He averaged uh, 10.5 rebounds in 27 minutes only for Louisiana Tech. But the size, weight, proportionality is a little bit off. For No, off's the wrong word. He's just got a very different body to most NBA big men. Yeah, he, he definitely does. Uh, Kenny's a bit on the on the larger side. He's definitely dropped a lot of weight in the kind of pre-draft process in this year. I think he's down maybe like 20, 30. I think he's around like two, 270 maybe now. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely a, a larger guy. But I think it's it's really interesting. I think if you like funky players, you'd really like uh, Lofton. He's he's very unique. How do you compare him? To, like, is his position center? Let's look at, Is that what he would have no. to play in the NBA? No, or, no, 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 no. He has to play, has to play the four. Uh, I mean, you might play him at the four, but he'd be like a point forward. Like his his offensive value is he's got like phenomenal touch and footwork, and he's pretty like for his size, he's very quick. So I mean, he's like a primary. He wants to be like a primary scorer. Okay, and he's just not going to be able to have that ability. I'm guessing in the NBA. Um, so what what can he bring to an NBA team? Is he a draftable prospect to you? Yeah, I definitely think he is because his level of like touch and kind of mobility skills and creativity are like truly phenomenal. Is there shooting upside here with him? Because he really, what did he attempt? 23s across his two years and hit four of them, which is obviously low volume and low success. Is there any ability for him to be or to have shooting touch or is it all just in the paint footwork type of moves? I mean, I think long-term there's upside. I think it depends how the team that takes him approaches his development because I don't think it's the type of guy you can just draft and throw on your team and just have because he's you know so unique. But I think... Like with the level of touch he's shown, if he were to maybe slim down a bit, I think he could offer some value as a shooter. Yeah, but I wouldn't like project it per se. Is there anyone in the NBA in recent times who has had success in the sort of role that Lofton would need to be a part of to to be an NBA player? Um, I mean, I think there's some maybe like. I, I'm not sure if there's an exact comparison just because he's so different. And I think it's hard to say just because there's so many different ways a team could approach his development. In terms of defensively, you know, how does he hold up there? Um, I mean, he puts a lot of effort. And I think defending on the interior, as long as you can keep on the interior, is pretty good. When you get him on the perimeter, I think there's like technique issues. I'm not sure if it's actually physical limitations because, again, he's pretty quick for his size and stuff. And he moves pretty well. But I think... He it's like footwork and stuff. It's not as uh, as polished, I guess, on the perimeter. I think the the types of footwork you need offensively is a lot of like measured, like exact steps to not travel. Whereas on the perimeter, you kind of want these shorter steps to change directions quickly and such. It's gonna be interesting to see if he ends up being drafted or is able to find a role in the NBA. These sort of unique players often don't um, you work out unless they are absolute elite top 0.05 percentage type players um, with that uniqueness. It is really hard for them to fit into NBA schemes a lot of the time. So we'll see how that goes with Kenny Lofton. Let's go to another player who's definitely going to get drafted, and that is Jalen Williams, not the other Jalen Williams that we did. This is the Arkansas Jalen Williams, the big one. 20 years of age, 6'10 forward from Arkansas. 
I know a lot of people who are pretty big fans of this guy. And outside of the, the lack of scoring, the low usage, and he had an 18 usage and average 11 points, there's quite a bit to like here. Good rebound numbers, good assist numbers, good block numbers, good steal numbers, um, solid free throw numbers, solid free throw attempt rate, um, good assist to turnover numbers as a 6'10 power forward on the youngish side for a sophomore as well. He hasn't yet turned 20. There is a lot of people, there are a lot of things that, that, to like about him. There are a lot of people who are liking him, but still seeing him get mocked outside the top 45, which to me feels, it feels a little bit low. Am I am I off on Jalen Williams? Is he gaining hype at the moment? Is there an NBA role for a player like this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's an NBA role and I definitely think he's the type of guy you take a chance on. Here's the big thing with Jalen Williams that I think is going to prevent him from possibly going really high. And I mean, of course, all it takes is one team to really love him to go higher. But he, the big thing would be he he's 6'10", 240, and in Arkansas, he was a drop defending pick and roll defending center. And in the NBA, he's probably not a center. He doesn't really move his feet and his hands super like at the same time. He doesn't really have like a ton of like he 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 drew like one and a half charges a game. So like when he was defending pick and roll, he was just trying to draw charges instead of contest shots a lot of the time. So I think that's kind of the weirdness is like he doesn't fully shoot yet and he's not really a center, but he's like kind of mobility wise between a power forward and a center so i think there's a lot of funk and it could be kind of hard to find a role the people who are hyping him up at the moment or people who are higher on him what are they leaning into with him what's what's the selling point because if you look at his box scores from last year he started off and scored like single digits in i think 10 of his first 12 games and then there was a pretty strong run of, of performances here 19 points and 20 points and 15 points yeah where that overall scoring number for the season is very skewed by this extraordinarily low usage basically through until the calendar turned over into january what are people um tying their hopes on with him yeah i mean i think with jalen like the first thing that comes up is his passing like he's truly like the assist numbers don't really do credit to how good of a passer he is he is truly like a plus plus passer for his size he's making phenomenal reads and i think you look offensively at how much of a like a unique kind of tool he could be right because you throw him in a dribble handoff and he can find more advanced reads and you know if the defense is kind of slacking or they're helping over onto you know his guard has a lot of gravity and they help he's going to be able to make decisions and do a lot of positive things with the ball in his hands so just remember, everyone, there is two Jalen Williams. There's this one, who is spelt J-A-Y-L-I-N, big man from Arkansas. And then there's the other Jalen Williams, who just, I believe, got an uh, invite to the NBA Draft Green Room, and that's J-A-L-E-N, the wing from Santa Clara. Very different players, but same name. So just be, be aware when you're talking about these guys as to which one we're actually talking about. And we're going to continue the Williams theme now, Chip, and we're going to talk about Trevion Williams. We're going to talk about another Williams after that as well. Trevion Williams, a 22-year-old, six foot nine forward out of Purdue. Jaden Ivey's teammate there, of course. And like Jalen Williams, the assist numbers stand out. 5.4 assists per 36 minutes for Trevion Williams. This is a six foot eight, six foot nine forward. He averaged 12 points. He shot 36% from three on comically low um, volume, but rebounded well. Great steal numbers, solid block numbers. Um, but again, a guy that's being mocked towards the end of the second round in a lot of cases, whereas there are a lot of positives with his advanced numbers, huge PR, big box score plus minus, um, big assist numbers, big usage numbers, some really interesting stuff from his statistical profile. Is that, you know, is that college numbers or is that projectable stuff? No, like Travion very confidently is the best passer in the draft class and it's not particularly close. Like he is truly like in a, an elite, elite passer. Like I think, you know, there's playmakers where like 
you know, Jokic might be the best passer, but a lot of, or like LeBron's up there, right? But a lot of their passing comes from they draw so much attention that, you know, they open up, they make guys open. So it's easy passes sometimes. Whereas like a guy like Lonzo Ball isn't necessarily getting people super open with his gravity, but he can just find amazing reads. Travion's on that kind of level where he might be like one of the 20 best passers in the NBA, but he doesn't have that massive scoring gravity to like, you know, create out of the pick and roll and, you know, get those huge assist numbers, I guess. So if I'm going to compare him to someone, again, this is, yeah, this could be completely wrong, but in terms of a a bigger forward guy whose strength lies in passing, that's not that high usage guy, I, my mind immediately just goes Kyle Anderson because that's, you know, one of his strengths is being a really strong passer who's never going to have this big usage or be a number one offensive option, but can still find guys. Is that, how far off the mark is that? Yeah, I would say Travion's not really – Travion's an okay ball handler, but I would say Kyle Anderson, you know, he, he's kind of like a power forward or a small forward kind of between. He's more of a perimeter player. Travion's closer to a center. Okay. He's not he's not super fast-footed. So, I mean, he's he's probably maybe looking like kind of closer to maybe Xavier Tillman. Yep, okay. And how, look, we, we one of the strengths, and we haven't talked about Paolo Banquero on this show yet. We'll talk about him coming up in, in the draft prospect profiles next week. Um, one of his main strengths as a big man is his passing ability. Travion dwarfs him in that passing skill? It's it's definitely close because I actually think they're one and two. Okay. So I would say it's pretty close, but I think Travion's probably, in terms of pure passing and not just like so good that people get open hitting passes, I think Travion's probably slightly better. It's going to be an interesting prospect. Do you think that he, is there any hope of him as a first rounder or is it just like a, a definite second round sort of player? I definitely think he'd be a second rounder undrafted guy, but I do think he has a chance of carving out a role. And the last Williams that we're going to talk about is Vince Williams, the six foot six forward from VCU, 22 years of age, played with Bones Highland, I think, last year. Um, defensive numbers, pretty impressive there. Really good steal numbers, good block numbers, another solid assist player. Shot 39% from three on huge volume of threes. Average 14 points per game. So as a 6-6 wing, which is a highly um, coveted position, does he have the required things that NBA teams want? High-level shooting, um, defensive switchability, chuck him on one of the best swings in the NBA and hope that he can do the job. Is yeah, that Because that combination is highly valuable. Can he do that? Yeah, I would say that's kind of where Vince gets a little bit murky and probably why he's kind of slipping through the cracks. So Vince, his defensive numbers are really good. And I think as an off-ball defender, he's one of the best off-ball defenders in the class. But on-ball, he has a couple athletic limitations. His hips are a bit stiff. He kind of moves like a geriatric, but he can like jump and like kind of run in a straight line. But changing directions isn't the best. So I think, and again, like VCU, their tallest player was 6'9". So he played like 4 and 5 a lot of the time. So it was a lot of interior defense. So I would say that the thing is on-ball defense is a little bit suspect. Anywhere else is pretty good. Okay, so can he... Yeah, I don't know 6'6". Is there any like secondary rim protection stuff that he can do as playing as a big a lot at VCU? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he had like a four, about 4% block rate. So I definitely think there's some like power forward upside as he adds strength. You compare him to, say, a you know, good top end of the draft, Keegan Murray, who had really high steal and block rate numbers as a you know, slightly bigger um, forward-sized player. Where does Vince fit in defensively in a comparison with, say, a Keegan Murray? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty high on Keegan's defensive ability. I would say that Keegan's a bit more fluid, and he's a bit he's a better athlete. And I think he's kind of a, I think that six six is a bit generous to Vince. I think he's more like six five. But I would say Vince is probably 
maybe a, a smarter defender, but Keegan's uh, better technically and he's a better athlete and he's bigger. Is the shooting real? Because like 59% of his shots coming from three, 63% true shooting, 39% from three overall. They are all like 81% from the line. These are all amazing numbers. How real is this? Is this translatable? Can he be a reliable catch and shoot three-point shooter or can he do a little bit more with the ball? Um, yeah, so that's the thing where Vince becomes interesting because like you mentioned last year, Bones Highland was there. So Vince was playing kind of as a, that 3 and D wing kind of complementary. This year they lost Bones. They didn't really get a reliable creator in. So Vince was actually kind of asked to be their point guard a lot of the time. So, I mean, his shooting I think is truly like very, very, very good. You know, there's very few guys who come into the NBA and you're like day one, you just know for a fact they will shoot. I mean, Vince is for a fact going to be able to shoot at the NBA level. And not only do I think he can shoot, I think he showed some stuff taking step backs. And I also think like off pin downs and stuff like Matherin, he's good at taking those shots off movement, which gives him a little bit more uh, shooting versatility. And I think his passing as well is like truly phenomenal. So we talk about all these things. Hey, look at this. High three-point attempt rate, high three-point shooting, great shooter, can defend up, um, can pass. So what holds him out of the first round? I mean, I don't think he should. I think it's going to be that he came from a smaller conference and he's not like he's not a great defender. And I think people try to pigeonhole him into three and D and they're not sold on the D. But if you let's pause. Um, But if you look at like the shooting, that's like a phenomenal shooter. He's truly a really great passer. And he's also a very smart team defender. I think when you look into that as someone who can provide a lot of offensive value as a complimentary player and also, you know, the on ball defense, it can be fine, like good enough. And the off-ball like team defense is truly great. I think there's a lot of value there. It's going to be interesting to see how he goes because there are these these bunch of these guys that we've I've talked about over the last couple of days, like someone like a Wendell Moore, who's got all these nice, interesting size statistical indicators, like Williams, like Jalen Williams, like Trevion Williams, all these interesting statistical things. But they're more projected in that. 35 to 45 to 50 range, where you go, well, if this actually works out, the, the type of player is really valuable. So seeing how that translates across to the NBA is going to be very, very interesting. Chip, thank you for coming onto the show and talking to us about all these Williamses and everyone else that we spoke about today. Tell everyone where they can find the work that you do. Yeah, so most of my work is going to be on Twitter or YouTube. I'm at ChipJMBA on both uh, platforms. And then I also do some video work with uh, the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. So you can find uh, some of my work on there as well. Yeah, so go and, go and follow Chip over on Twitter. Check out the Thinking Basketball channel and Chip's YouTube channel as well. Thanks for coming on Locked on Fantasy Basketball with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. It was a good time. And that will do it for us today. We've got a couple more Draft Prospect shows coming up this week. And we're going to be covering in those shows Johnny Davis, Oche Abaji, Tari Eason, Chet Holmgren, Walker Kessler, Malachi Branham, Huanjung Lee as well. So stay tuned for those shows coming up and follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, you know what to do. Drop your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.